Well, this morning we're going to conclude a 12-week series on the life of Joseph. We've been looking at this since September, and usually by the time we close a series, I'm really ready to be done with that series and to move on with whatever's next. Usually we've been thinking about that and are starting to get excited about it, but I am really sorry to close this, this one out. Uh, It's been so enjoyable for me to get to study this story and to share what I'm learning and to sit and listen as Tom shares what he's been learning through things that he's been studying through this story. It's just so rich and, and so full, and it's been good to talk to so many of you about how you're applying these things and as you've brought your life to the story. So this morning what I want to do is I want to just make some closing remarks to kind of summarize the story and focus on two of its main themes. First, I want to talk a little bit about the sovereignty of God. That is God's ability to take any situation at all, no matter how bad it is, and to twist it around so that it works for good. Second of all, I want to talk about the forgiveness of God. That is God's ability to take any wrongdoing at all, no matter how bad it might be, and to forgive the person who's guilty of it. Now, these two themes are very, very evident as you look through the entire book of, of Genesis. The story of Joseph just lies at the end of it. But the story of Joseph puts an exclamation point on both of these themes. And I want to think a little bit about that today. Uh, The book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, for a long time has been one of my favorite books. And I can remember the very first time that I read it, uh, I went to a Bible college that was out near Philadelphia. And my first semester, freshman year, I was assigned to read the whole book and was given a few weeks to do it. But I waited until the very end, till the last minute. And one Saturday afternoon, I ended up having to read the whole book. Uh, If you sit down and read the book of Genesis, it takes about three and a half hours. And so on the top bunk of of my bunk bed in the dorm, I I read the book. And I will never forget how surprised I was. I was surprised because I was so incredibly gripped by the story. And when I got to the last chapter, I was kind of glad that my roommate was gone because I I remember weeping for about a half hour in uh, my dorm. And and as I look back on it, I think that there, was, there are two reasons why I was so impacted by the book of Genesis. The first is that Genesis is incredibly sad. To read through this book, chapter by chapter, is to watch person after person pierce themselves with sorrow. The, the book of Genesis is unrelentingly painful And the losses that people experience within the context of this story is incredible. But it's a little odd because the book of Genesis begins on such a bright note. It opens with an act of extraordinary love. God, who is rich, overflowingly so, in in, in goodness and in power and in joy, he custom designs a world that is perfect for human beings... And then he creates two of them to be soulmates with one another. And not only that, but his very own sons and daughters, his princes and and princesses. And he places them in this beautiful, perfect garden. 
their homes, their lives, their relationships with one another, their their marriage, their relationship with God is flawless in every single way. And and in the opening chapters of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, we find that God's extraordinary act of love is, is this. It's all of creation. It, it's, it's people, the, the image bearers of God. And, and Adam and Eve breathe their very first breath in this new world and are alive in ways that you and I can only imagine. The life that you dream of deep down, that's the life that Adam and Eve experienced. But it was only for a time. Because when you turn to chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, everything falls apart and the reader is kind of swept from this wonderful, beautiful handiwork that the glorious creator has made into the rebellion of those people that he's created. Uh, The two people, Adam and Eve, that God has loved so much reciprocate his love by betraying him. Adam and Eve, without getting into all the details, essentially stab God in the back And as a result of that, sin enters into the world and brings with it guilt and shame and pain and and harm. And Adam and Eve lose their standing with God. They lose this perfect marriage that they have with each other. And and they lose their perfect paradise home of Eden. It's a terrible loss. And it's not only their loss, it's our loss too. That's how it was supposed to be for all of us. But this is only the first loss that Adam and Eve and their descendants will experience. In the very next uh, section of the book, their precious son, Abel, is going to be lost. His brother becomes jealous of him and, and he kills him mercilessly out in a field. And that sets the whole, the whole uh, uh, trajectory for the book. With, with every progressive uh, generation, that same kind of violence and injustice and, and uh, ungodliness begins to spread deeper and deeper out into the world. Generation after generation of men and women will seek power, but will wield it in opposition to one another and to God. And so finally, when, when you get to chapter 6, what happens is you're, you're taken from this world that has now been infected by sin and is awful and ugly and you're lifted back up into the presence of God and God is pictured there viewing the state of his creation. And, and you know what he's doing? He's mourning. The text says that God's heart is mourned. God looks down at all that he's created and his heart is broken. To read through the book of Genesis is to stare unflinchingly at human sin and all of its awful consequences. And yet, what I discovered as I read this book on my bunk in my dorm is that the crazy thing about the book of Genesis is that while it is so extraordinary, extraordinarily sad, it is not at all depressing. In fact, quite the opposite. The book of Genesis is exhilarating. It's hopeful in a way that I found to be quietly thrilling because in spite of this act of betrayal that's been committed against God and all the betrayal that continues to be committed against God, the book of Genesis makes it clear that God is not done with us, that God is up to something. 
that he has a plan that will somehow lead to all of these terrible wrongs and injustices being made right again. And and what God does in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis is he begins to initiate that plan. He chooses a man whose name was Abraham. Nothing special about him. He was just, I think, a random man that God uh, decided to choose, and God blessed him. He gave a series of promises to Abraham and to his future descendants that he promises will one day culminate in this master plan coming to fruition. God was going to send someone into the world, and this person would be born through Abraham's family, and once and for all, would be the one who would make the world right again. So you get to chapter 12 and the story of Abraham unfolds. And then you get to chapter 24 and and you're introduced to Abraham's son whose name is Isaac. And then you keep reading and you get to chapter 27 and you're introduced into Isaac's son, uh, Jacob. And then in chapter 37 where we started the series a few weeks ago, we're introduced to Jacob's 12 sons. One of them in particular is a man named Joseph. And what we get to see as we read through all of their lives is the faithfulness of God. And these men and their family, as they seek to walk with him and experience all the blessings and promises that he's given them, along with all of the hardships of life in a world that's not Eden anymore. But here's the kicker. This was the thing that really surprised me when I first read the book of Genesis. And that is that all of those people that I just mentioned are so incredibly imperfect. And the funny thing about it is, even though you might expect their imperfections to be hidden, in the Bible, they're not. The Bible doesn't just focus on the good and presentable things about these people. It puts the ugliness of their sin on full display. And we learn that Abraham, the great hero of our faith, was a serial liar. And he was a lousy husband, more often than not. His son Isaac was a very, very defective parent. And Isaac's son Jacob was all of these things and more combined. Now what happens is, when when you get to the end of, of Genesis... And you get to the story of Jacob's son, Joseph, that we've been focusing on. What you find is that it's more of the same. You know, if if you've been with us for these last um, 12 series, this this series, these last 12 messages, what, um, what I think you've really seen in the story of Joseph is the ugliness of sin on full display. Right? This story is a mess. You see the the damage that is caused by Jacob, the father's reckless favoritism of his son, Joseph. Remember, he gives him this beautiful robe, doesn't give anything to anybody else. And the brothers become jealous, and, and eventually that jealousy erupts in violence against Joseph. And even though Joseph is innocent, he is then betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's subjected to a sexual assault. He's held to blame for a crime that not only did he not commit, but he actually tried to stop. And eventually, it leads to this poor man wasting away for two years in an Egyptian prison, which the the Bible describes as a pit. 
So here you have Joseph who rots away in a hole in the ground for two years of his life. Joseph is such a a vulnerable character. His entire life seems to hang by a string. But the string in the story that Joseph's life hangs by turns out not to be any ordinary thread at all. It's like this, this golden string is weaving in and out of his life through the favoritism and the jealousy and the violence that he experiences through his time as a slave and through his assault and and his imprisonment, all of these terrible experiences that were meant to harm him. And what we find is something incredible. And that is that instead of harming Joseph, God was entwining these experiences, tying them all together to become like a series of stepping stones to bring Joseph to exactly the place that God wanted him to be. And in the end of this story, the sovereign hand of God takes Joseph, lifts him up from the pit, and puts him on a throne in Egypt. You know, one thing that's so important to note about that is that that same golden thread is at work in our lives too. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28 The Apostle Paul writes these words. They're such powerful words. I hope you'll soak them into into your soul. He says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So, what that means is for those of us who love God and have been called according to His purpose, that is that we've become the children of God, God is committed to taking every single ounce, every little scrap, every minute piece of of pain and discomfort and sorrow and rejection and harm and wrongdoing that we experience in life. Every single thing, including the worst of it, and in some way, using it in our lives as stepping stones that will ultimately bring us to the place that He desires for us to be. That golden thread of the sovereignty of God is so often imperceptible to us at the time, but God promises that everything that happens to us will work out only for our ultimate good. God promises He will bring you only good, no matter what you face. When I was in uh, college, I had a buddy of mine who, who bought a Jeep, and it was a junker. It was an old Jeep. You know, it didn't have a top or anything like that. And one summer after he just bought it, he um, invited me to, to take a ride with him in it. And that sounded great to me. Who doesn't want to ride in a Jeep on a summer day? But at, at the very last minute, I changed my mind. And I decided to drive my car separately. We were going to go and, and meet uh, someplace. And And uh, to make a a long story short, on the way, he crashed into a tree with his new Jeep, totaled the Jeep. I parked my car. I came running over to him. And I remember he lifted up his head, and there was blood that was coming down off of his face. And fortunately, he was okay. I, I quickly realized that he hadn't been seriously hurt. But I noticed something that put a chill down my spine. And that was that the passenger seat in the Jeep 
had gone forward and put a huge dent in the uh, dashboard of the car. And, and what had happened was there was, a, there was a problem. The passenger seat hadn't been bolted down in the back. So as soon as it hit the tree, the whole seat just went over and, and slammed into the dash. And, and, and I knew it right then that had I been in that car, had, had I decided to go with him, I would have been at least seriously injured, perhaps killed. And I remember driving away from that scene being so thankful and so amazed that God had had protected me from that. That God had the power just to inspire me for whatever reason not to ride in the Jeep that day. But what I want to say is that the story of Joseph in Romans chapter 8 teaches us something that's even more amazing about God. What it tells us is that even if I had been seriously injured in a way that I was never the same again, or even if I had been killed, that God could have, and He would have, turned even that around to be something good. That God has not only the ability, but God will take any situation at all, no matter how bad it is, and twist it around to work for the good of his children. That's one of the lessons in this story. And I hope you've caught that lesson. You know, some of us are facing things that are very, very difficult. And it's very, very hard to understand how God could possibly use this thing in my life for good and for blessing. And you know, Joseph, I'm sure, felt that same way. As he sat in that prison for two years, he had no idea the way that things were going to end and and turn out. And I guess the lesson for this is wait until the end. Wait until the end. Hang in there. Trust God. Believe that just as he was involved in Joseph's life, if you belong to him, he promises he's involved in yours in the same way. God's sovereignty is such a theme in in not only the book of Genesis, but especially in the story of Joseph. But I want to point to one other uh, major theme that we see in the story of Joseph. We might uh, expect that God would work a bad situation into something good in the life of Joseph, right? We kind of expect, actually reading it, that everything's going to turn out okay, because it's Joseph. He's the good guy of the story, But you know what's so amazing is that God does the same thing for the bad guys of the story. He works things for good in the end of Joseph's brothers too. And you've got to ask the question, well, why would God do good for them? They don't deserve it. And I think that it's because through this story of Joseph, God wants to teach us something about the way he treats People who betray him. The story of Joseph teaches us something about the way that God treats people who betray him. You know, it's really interesting. Um, The opening of the story of Joseph is very, very similar to the opening of the book of Genesis as a whole. Both begin with acts of betrayal. Uh, Adam and Eve betray God. And then a few chapters later, chapter 37, Joseph's brothers betray him. And I was thinking this week that that maybe the way that Joseph responds to his betrayers is meant to tell us something about the way that God responds to his betrayers too. 
When, when Joseph is betrayed at, at the very beginning of the story, it, it's so unfair. Remember? I mean, they, they, they just jump on top of him and, and throw him in this pit. And Joseph becomes totally weak while his brothers take full advantage of their power. Joseph's life now is in peril while his brothers are up there eating lunch, safe and comfortable. Joseph is sold as a slave. His brothers get to go free. But what's so interesting and unique about this story is that after 22 years has gone by, everything gets reversed. The weakness and the power, the peril and the comfort, the slavery of these and and, and freedom, all of these things shift in the opposite direction. And now Joseph is the mighty ruler of Egypt and his brothers are are barely squeaking by. They're, They're hardly surviving in the land of Canaan. And the story And the question, excuse me, that that the story is meant to draw out of the reader is the question, what's Joseph going to do about this? What's he going to do about his newfound power? And and most people who read this story, myself included, if I'm honest, want to see these guys pay for what they've done. I, I, I want to see them suffer for their crime. But the great twist of the story of Joseph is... That Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph is going to hold the power of life and death over the ones who so blatantly and callously and violently betrayed him. And in the end, what does he choose to do? He chooses to forgive them. In fact, not only does he choose to forgive them, but he chooses to protect and to care for them. For the, for the rest of their lives, his betrayers. I mean, Joseph could have just said in the end, all right, guys, listen, I, betray, I, I forgive you. I forgive you for all the wrong that you did to me in the past. Now you go your way and I'll go my way. But instead, with this incredible sincerity and purity of heart, he says these words. Just look at them in the chapter, verse 18 of chapter fifty. It says, his brothers also came and and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them And spoke kindly to them. You know, there's a genre of movies in Hollywood that are are based on stories of revenge. Very common movie idea. Usually what will happen is they'll hire Sylvester Stallone or uh, maybe Liam Neeson. And these guys star as a man who has someone or something taken from them, right? That's like the first quarter of the movie is this terrible loss that one of these guys experienced. And then the, the second uh, uh, three quarters of the movie is that person going on a rampage to get even with all of those perpetrators from the beginning. We love stories like that, right? Stories like that do really well at, at the box office. But you know... They don't win many Academy Awards. You know what the stories are that win Academy Awards? They're stories that start out the same way, with someone having some terrible thing perpetrated against them. But instead of choosing revenge, the person chooses to forgive. 
See, revenge stories are, are, are common. They're understandable. They're the natural inclination of, of the human heart. But, but forgiveness stories are so rare and unusual and deeply, deeply powerful. And it's part of what's so powerful about the story of Joseph. I think that part of the point of the story of Joseph is to show us that the story of the Bible is not a story of revenge. Even though the the book of Genesis begins with this terrible betrayal of God, I think that the story of Joseph is very purposely put at the end of the book of Genesis to set a trajectory for the rest of the Bible. And what it declares is that even the worst crimes of sin and betrayal can be redeemed. And it shows us that, that the heart of God is a heart that values mercy and grace and forgiveness over vengeance. And, and this commitment of love by God, even in the face of sin, is the ultimate hope for the human race. It's part of what makes Genesis so, so thrilling. Now, now, like the characters in the book of, of Genesis, none of us are black and white. None of us are either all good or, or all bad. We're, we're a mix of everything. Find us on one day, you might, you might be very proud of us. Find us on another day, you might want to turn your head and, and face a different direction. But we're all a mix of everything. And each one of us face many different sorrows in our lives. Some of those sorrows are self-inflicted. Some of them we've caused upon ourselves. Others, like Joseph, are perpetrated against us. But one thing that the Bible makes very clear is that every sorrow that any human being has ever faced in one way or another is a result of sin. And that all sin at its root stems from some form of betrayal against God. But just like God pours out his grace into the lives of these brothers through Joseph, God wants to pour out his grace into our lives too. Now, he's not going to do that through Joseph, right? Joseph died thousands of years ago. But God has sent someone by whom he desires his grace to be evidence in our lives, and that is Jesus. God has sent his son, Jesus. You know, next month, um, we celebrate Christmas. And Christmas is, is so wonderful, especially if you keep the book of Genesis in mind. It's, it's the arrival of the Son of God into the world that, in the very beginning, betrayed God. God sends His own Son into the world for the people who betrayed Him. And, and do you remember what we did when Jesus arrived? We betrayed Him all over again, didn't we? Rather than celebrating his arrival, rather than thanking God that he would do something like that, we crucified God's son on the cross. It's, it's an even bigger betrayal than the first one. You would think that, that one betrayal would be bad enough and that twice would cross the line and that God would be justified in every way in his vengeance. And yet what we find is that just like Joseph offered to his brothers Jesus chooses to offer each and every one of us life when what we deserve is death. That Jesus came to forgive us 
even though rightfully he could have come for revenge. He could have done that. And not only that, but Jesus desires to rescue us not only from sin and to let us go our own way, but like Joseph, to protect us and to care for us for all eternity. God sent Jesus into this world to right every wrong that has ever been committed, to die for the penalties of our betrayal. And the Bible says to rescue any man or woman who might believe in him for for not just this life, but for all of eternity. I think that the story of Joseph lying in, in these last 13 chapters of Genesis is like a punctuation mark on on the end of a very sad and very hopeful book. And what it tells us is that there is hope for sinners. If you believe you're a sinner this morning, the book of Genesis tells you that there is hope for you, just like there was hope for them. It it tells us that God is not done with us yet that, that evil does not have to have the last word in our lives because someone even greater than Joseph has been sent to rescue us. And God is in the process, even now, even though it's hard to see, of taking all things that are meant for harm and turning them around into things that are useful for good so that many people might live. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you and and just praise you this morning for this story that you've given us through the life of of Joseph. And I want to thank you that through it we see that you are sovereign. You do have the ability to take any situation at all, even the worst things in life, and to twist them around and to work for good. And I thank you for how I've seen you do that in my life. I thank you for how I've seen you do that in the lives of, of other people. And I Pray for those who are experiencing very difficult, depressing, uncertain circumstances right now. That they would take great hope from the life of Joseph. That they would recognize that the story of their life is not written yet. And that you are the author. And that you're a good God who loves and protects and cares and uses evil even for good. We praise you because only a God like you could do something like that. And we praise you and thank you too for the forgiveness that we see in this story. We thank you that you have the desire to take any wrong that we've ever committed, no matter how horrible, no matter how much trouble we have forgiving even ourselves of it. And you promise that by sending your son into the world to die for our sin, that that sacrifice is enough. In fact, that it's perfect. That the blood of Christ is is capable and effective to cleanse us and to forgive all of our sin. And I pray for those that are, are having trouble with that this morning, that you would give them confidence in that. That you would draw them towards your son Jesus and help them to understand why it is that he came, not just to teach us how to do good things and have a better life, but to make alive people who are dead in sin. What a wonderful God you are 
to stick with us, to not be done with us in spite of the ways that we've betrayed you. And I pray that as we close this series, that the lessons that we've learned here, that you desire to stick with us in our hearts, I I pray that you would just bury them deep within and that you would continue to grow those seeds in good soil. We pray in Jesus' name.